the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Macaris, the black fortress of Herod the Great, loomed prominently on the eastern skyline of Israel in the days of Christ. A sign of paranoia in the puppet king of the Romans, its citadel maintained constant and direct line of sight with all of his other strongholds in Israel. This fortress was one of the most strategic, but also one of the most lavish of Herod's properties, an indisputable sign of his absolute authority as the Roman-backed king of the Jews. Sixty years later, his son, Herod Antipas, securely the accomplice of the Roman occupation and in no real need of an eastern military outpost, would convert this dread fortress into his personal pleasure palace. Soon thereafter, he would compel through its gates, as his prisoner, that peculiar prophet from the banks of the Jordan River, just a few miles to the north, the notorious John the Baptist. John was imprisoned because of his criticism of Herod's marriage to his own sister-in-law. Though John was clearly in the right according to Levitical law, such a law did not seem to govern this so-called ruler of Israel. And so John's hilltop imprisonment in this eagle's nest overlooking the Israeli countryside served as a sign of the spiritual sickness and decline among God's people. Were he able to look out from his window in his holding cell, he would have been met immediately by a number of sacred sites. To the east was the ancient path that Israel took as they emerged from their weary wilderness wanderings. A few hilltops to the northeast would be the cliffs where centuries earlier Moses stood and watched his protege Joshua lead that stubborn people into Canaan knowing that he would have to stay behind. On the horizon to the north would be John's own place at the banks of the Jordan River, the entrance point into the Promised Land, where he'd been about the work of baptizing and preparing the people for their coming Messiah. And to the west would be the Temple Mount of Jerusalem, where his father first learned of John's name, his birth, his destiny, and where in a few short years his own cousin Jesus would be condemned to death by their own high priest. From this place, this symbol of all that was wrong in Israel, of her foreign occupation and her spiritual emptiness, John stood at the crux of past and future, of all the places where Israel had been and all the places where Israel was going, and he waited out his last days as the prisoner of a political puppet and a lush. Our gospel opens on this moment, on the news of John's imprisonment. The disciples of John have been sent to inquire of Jesus, are you the one we're looking for, or should we look for someone else? Some have argued that John sending his disciples in this way uh, shows a John having an uncharacteristic moment of doubt as to the identity of who Jesus is. But that seems odd, considering that this is the man who leapt in the womb of his mother at the mere sound of Mary's voice. 
It would be strange of a man who had disdained all basic human comforts in order to wear rough clothing and to eat locusts and to live in the wilderness as a prophetic sign of the, of the Christ. John had pointed straight at Jesus on the banks of the Jordan and proclaimed him the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No, John has another purpose in mind. John sends his disciples with this question for their sake, because it is time for them to leave him behind. It's time for them to follow Jesus. As John would say of himself, he must increase and I must decrease. To their question, Jesus, res Jesus responds enthusiastically with evidence from his own teachings and miracles. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus' answer is for their confidence, for their consolation. Their teacher, John, was right. It's a message of blessing for John to reward him for his relentless fidelity to the work of God. It's an invitation to these disciples to follow their teacher as that teacher points them back to Christ. And hence, upon their departure, Jesus extols John the Baptist and vindicates his ministry as the messenger sent by God to make straight the way of the Lord in the wilderness. John's ministry is now complete. It's no surprise, then, that our collect and theme for this week is about ministry. In our collect, we prayed, O Lord Jesus Christ, who at your first coming sent your messenger to prepare your way before you, grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise so prepare and make ready your way by turning hearts to the wisdom of the just, so that at your second coming to judge the world, you may find us an acceptable people in your sight. This is the work of ministry. But this ministry is not reserved just to the ordained or to the professional. This is the ministry that falls on the shoulders of everyone who would call themselves Christians. That's because to be a steward of the mysteries means to be a witness in all that we are to the work that God is doing. Sure, the sacraments are paramount as icons of God's redemption of all creation, but so too are the testimonies of our converted lives the evidence of the resurrection being real, and the evidence that should assure us that we are saved for the life of the world, that we are not saved by God merely for ourselves, but we are saved so that we might participate in the work that God is doing to redeem the world. We are at our best, and we are at our most noble when we are doing what John the Baptist was doing, when we're making our lives a living symbol that reveals and makes straight the way of Christ to others. This is why our liturgy is shaped the way it is. Christ ministers to us in giving us the word, in giving us himself in Eucharist, and this patterns our lives after his own life. It makes us signs of him to those who need to be shown the way back to him. In short, we come to church so that we can go back out of the church and into the world as people who are formed and empowered 
to do this work as faithful ministers. This is going to look slightly different for each of us, because each of us is slightly different. And that's a question that needs to be taken up in spiritual direction. But here's how we can all get started this morning. Begin to pray constantly. Begin to show mercy to everyone. For all people, our family, our friends, even our enemies, we are called to pray and intercede for their best and highest good and to love them in whatever way we can. We all know people by whom we've been hurt. Ministry means praying for them and ultimately forgiving them. We all know people who are hurting, the lost, the lonely, the sick, the oppressed, the imprisoned, the sad, the despairing. Begin this morning to pray for them and then commit yourself to helping them if there's a way you can. The needs in ministry when we begin this work, will begin to seem very great. But that's because there is indeed a very great need for faithful ministers. For in lives that seek only to serve ourselves, even under the best of intentions, we'll ultimately find only emptiness and more loneliness. Our greatest peace, our highest joy, comes when we most fully become the icons of Christ, Make, made like him through word and sacrament to be like him wherever we go, whether it be in the most sublime cathedral or in the darkest prison alongside John. This is what it means to be a minister, what it means to do what we're saved to do, what we're made as new creations to do, orient everything about us so that it points to Christ and to the story that God is telling through him. We live now in light of what has been made true in Christ. And may we do so so that when we reach our final days, when we reach the end of our ministry, we might, with John the Baptist, look back, look out, to see the paths we've walked through the wilderness, to see the places from which the pastors of God saw us through, to see the waters of baptism that gave us ourselves anew. And then, finally, to the city Jerusalem, where Christ died and rose again and will return to take his throne. And may he find us then as faithful as his servant John. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.